See, now I know it's not going to mess up uh, John Wick's D&D point. Yeah, let's not mess <laughs> up anybody's D&D. That's not a good thing. <laughs> Today on Geezers of the Game, we have a special guest from Geek Therapeutics, uh, Dr. Tony Bean. Let's get right into it. Well, thank you, Tony, for coming. I really appreciate that. It's just me today. All my co-hosts are uh, involved in a couple other uh, issues <laughs> for themselves. Uh, mm -hmm. You know how it is when you're a family man. I just put my two kids to bed, so. Did you? What, what ages are your children? Four and a half and 18 months. Oh, dear Lord. Mm -hmm. Well, so my heart goes out having, to you. We're having some fun. Yeah, I imagine so. And you're a, a therapist? I'm a, yep, I'm a licensed psychologist. Uh, run four, four different businesses. So you found Geek Therapeutics. I run a nonprofit that has... Uh, with my wife, who's a, our clinical director. She's also a psychologist. And we have 14 clinicians and six admin um, on that one, which is pretty intense. And then Geek Therapeutics, I have my private practice, and then I run a publishing company as well. A publishing <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. This all like before you had children. Uh, the nonprofit did, the private practice did, the Geek Therapeutics and uh, the other one have, have been building up while they are here. <laughs> oh, I see. So, so what it's been down the path of taking, I, I know that there is obviously role play when you're talking about, um, uh, um, oh man, I, I just lost it. When you go through school, there's the whole section there. Um, it's not a huge. There's narrative therapy. therapy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Is that what kind of led to this? So I've been kind of a, a lifelong gamer, nerd, everything. And so I have pretty much throughout all my schooling, including high school, have utilized a lot of these different principles and ideas to one for my own personal mental health. But also, as we're going through school, my dissertation had, for my doctorate program has been geared in, in geek therapy. My uh, research has been geared into a whole bunch of other stuff uh, pertaining to that and uh, looking at video gamers and role play and all my practicums, internships have always dealt with, uh, I get all the geeky nerds people because no one knows what to do with them. And I'm like, I do, let's do this. And uh, we, we do have a lot of fun because I mean, that's, that's really what, we, what we're supposed to do. I mean, that's, that's the fun part. Right. <laughs> so it's been, it's been over a decade in the making. So um, for our listeners that have not heard of Geek Therapeutics, why don't you explain a little bit of what it is and not just the program as far as certifications, but also the practical side of it as well. Yeah, sure. So Geek Therapeutics is a, a company that we created that does continuing education hours for professionals. Uh, we have a bunch of families who take the courses as well so they can understand their kids and in other areas of their life they may want to, to explore as well. But we, we pretty much are a what we call continuing education company, and we focus on utilizing uh, geek therapy or geek cultural artifacts in a therapeutic practice. So that can engage us with anime, fan fiction, manga, video games, the MCU, TTRPGs, D&D, Call of Cthulhu, you name it, we use it. 
Uh, and what we've kind of noticed is that clinicians and other professionals don't know how to use it. All of the people who are geeks and nerds and stuff like that who are coming on up, they're like, oh my God, this is so good. I can use my, my loves, my passions into these other areas. And we're, we're like, yes, yes, you can. And you can get your continuing education units uh, through us as well. Because once you get licensed and become a professional, you have to do yearly educational um, additions to your stuff. So I have to do 40 um, hours every two years. And but most everybody, like teachers, they have to do 160 hours of professional development every five years, which is insane. Yeah, uh, but uh, but our yeah, yeah doctors yeah. have to. And so we we provide those continuing education units that are not just based on like what's the appropriate ethical thing you're supposed to do here. We're like, no, let's 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 talk about why anime gives us friendship, belongingness, and and can help us understand adversity and uh, who we are as people. How can we utilize the MCU to understand Tony Stark's depression and alcoholism to understand how we might cope with some of those things and what are we see depicted on the movies or in these comic books and how how we can utilize them for to open up spaces and talk about mental health in a way that people can see it can understand it and know how to kind of get themselves out of it too sorry no that's okay i'm actually watching the it almost looks like the the dog is like cha being chased by a chicken so i'm loving it it's actually my little dog chasing my big dog <laughs> my chicken <laughs> <over there. laughs> i have a little bit of a farm um i'm i'm actually fairly familiar with uh continuing ed i, I was an emt for a while my uh co-host one of my co-hosts is a paramedic you know, the, so continuing ed is not foreign to us at all. <laughs> it is. It is a, a nightmare in itself. Never mind, like, getting accredited for by all of these different organizations. Like, we're accredited by APA and BCC, and I'm just about to, I have an email from ACE, which is for social workers, that basically says, yeah, you're almost there. We just need to do these last little bits. I'm like, thank God, your application is terrible and long and and horrible to, to do it's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous so we're we're nationally accredited for for those things which is a big deal because there's a lot That's of people awesome. who who would say like oh yeah we do this type of stuff but like but you're not accredited so it means that if you go to your board and say hey i got this piece of paper saying that i went and did this stuff they're gonna look at that and be like yeah but it's not accredited therefore it's useless <laughs> so with your unfortunately even though we may not believe that <laughs> Well, it's obviously very useful, as uh, I'm sure you guys talk about this all the time, but the dopamine receptors um, are very much engaged with the reward that comes from role-playing or comes from a video game or whatever. I'm sure there's more to it than just that, <laughs> in my yeah. humble knowledge. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff that kind of comes into... Um, experiencing how these things can turn us into better people, but also um, know kind of what we have to do in order to feel connected to the material, but the people around us as well. The social interaction and the, uh, the mm -hmm. bond building. Yeah. So I watched, um, I watched a couple of your game sessions, obviously. Um, so the players that I watched seem to be fairly um, unfamiliar with the basic ideas of role playing. So uh, the one yep. game master was kind of going over a bit of it, trying to help with that. So how much do you interact with new 
players as opposed to somebody that has experience playing it, whether that's uh, video games probably is even less of an issue, but role playing. I would, I would say for when we do our therapeutic groups, we experience people who have played the games um, a lot of times and have been able to uh, understand the, the, the importance of role play and, and everything else along those lines. We also run into people who are complete newbies and they're like, Hey, I just wanted to try this. And we're like, cool, we're going to guide you in, but you're on for a wild ride. Um, the training program that we have is, is geared more for uh, professionals to kind of understand one, learn the basics of uh, the TTRPGs, get a little bit of role play in for it, and um, also kind of engage the them in a way that they may not feel comfortable doing. Because as as a clinician, you know, like we're we're not always taught how to role play as a as a dark elf or as a drow character um i mean we, we have to kind of engage those things a little bit more and get into the character and be like what would my character do I'm like mm, i really wouldn't do that like when we play our D games on friday nights we have another one tomorrow night um we um, i'm a cat and i started off as like a mindfulness based stuff and now i'm just frazzled and i'm like nope gonna hit it nope get out of my way <laughs> um, and I'm playing as a character and everyone's like no please don't do that and I'm like but I'm, my character it just has to do it just bats at something um, and kind of gives us uh, some grief here and there dealing with conflict resolution in a safe environment yeah absolutely and it, it sometimes comes at us in the weirdest ways and there's lots of opportunities for, for us to, to learn from the way that we play the games, the way that we embellish our character and the way that the, the DM or GM allows us to focus ourselves a little bit more. It's, it's fantastic to, to work through uh, your own personal stuff, other people's stuff, and, and learn so much about uh, everyone as a group cohesive. Excellent. So without violating HIPAA, <laughs> What's one of the more rewarding experiences you've had since you started doing this? I think one of the most rewarding experiences that I would probably have to say would be, oh man, there's, there's a lot of, I'd probably see, say, the, a time where we had someone who was tr trying out a new, new gender. Uh, per se in in um her character because she doesn't quite know she's gender fluid and so she doesn't really quite know what she chooses to be and right now she still goes by pronouns she and her um but it's she ebbs and flows right now um and i think with her in her eighth session was the the big turning point where she basically broke down at the end and started crying and she was saying that she felt so accepted to play as this character where she never has ever been accepted to to try these different things out. Her parents and everything like that aren't really accepting of her uh, to do this type of stuff. And she felt safe in having the ability to connect with uh, the people around her, but also explore this other side. And she just wanted to, to really kind of give um, everyone a thank, uh, big thank for that. And the whole group kind of came together and the whole session stopped for a second. And we just were like, hey, let's process this. Like, what is it like for the group to know that you guys are supporting her in her endeavor? And it, it turned into a really wonderful, um, what we call a bionic group where they felt they could talk freely about a lot of different things um, and, and keep on giving that support there. And then we, we kind of like packed it all in. We call it, we zipped her back up appropriately and we kept on playing for the last little bit. 
but that that type of change, that type of experience is really where I feel the most connection to feeling like this is what matters. This is what happens. This is why, why we do this. It's because those moments, that was like what we'd call like a bigger one. And they're, they're farther and few in between. But when they do happen, it is just remarkable to see it happen, occur. That's really awesome. What about uh, what about uh, people on the spectrum? Have you watching them maybe blossom a little bit, be able to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been able the difficulties. We've been able to see them do wondrous things where their parents will come back to us uh, towards the end of it and be like, "Wow, my my kid is now asking questions, and they don't normally ask these types of questions. They tend to assume." Uh, that they know everything or that they're they're having trouble with other other students and being able to to kind of know know what to to do in a social interaction but they're asking questions and they're not assuming they're they're trying to be present with with what's happening and work together as a as a a median and a mode and as a way to uh, feel like they, they matter which I think is absolutely phenomenal and to see that hear that feedback that one our because there are these are the kids that are only in our group we're not necessarily always seeing them one-on-one um as well but they're the ones in the group that that just feels like we're again we're making that difference but it's also we're changing the kid's life the kid now is is gaining skills they wouldn't normally be able to because of the the type of role play the type of uh, stuff that we're doing in, in the, with the great intention of that therapeutic uh, game master we're happening with them. So how do you get your uh, your patients? <laughs> I guess. I'm not sure what, what you guys refer to them, but Cl- clients. clients. Yeah, clients is kind of what we is what we do down down here in Texas. We we are completely word of mouth. We haven't done a lick of marketing um, for the, the Telos project, what we did, and we are just known for our testing, comprehensive testing in a 400 mile radius. And we are, are known for our unique way of getting to the, the crux of the situation in unique ways. They're all, uh, evidence-based, but they're also very much, uh, focused on how do we, work with uh, the people around us. And we, we talk with the clients, we engage with them in ways that they don't normally get engaged with. And that's where that change comes in. That's where that transformational power um, occurs. And that's, that's why we, we kind of uh, train other people on how to do it because it's important. Oh, I agree. I think uh, personally role-playing, I've been role-playing for 30 plus years now. Um, and when I started role-playing, you know, I was, I don't know, 13, 12, somewhere in there, maybe a little bit younger, but you know, there was that awkward time, you know, where you're, you're starting to become a teenager. Now I think they call them tweens, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Tweens in my day, but you know, you're starting to become a teenager, but you still don't have any real freedom. (laughs) So it's that whole awkward. And then, you know, getting into your, you know, 15, 16, you know, where you're starting to really struggle with becoming an adult when you're nowhere near an adult <laughs> mm-hmm. dealing with that. So I, I think role-playing gave me a lot of confidence, a lot of skills. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's kind of like what we're, we're, we're trying to, to, to break those stereotypes and, and feed these certain things. And like our kids have learned crazy masculine being able to, to kind of know 
what what they have to roll how do they have to engage it and we, we can actually like literally roll um and make that do math special math uh, engagement with them if they need that if, if they want that or something like that but it's not necessarily there but the reading the literacy the the ability to know how do i engage in this is is remarkable to to watch that happen i know for me vocabulary was never my strong suit but with role playing i learned so many words that never would have learned <laughs> i know words today that and i'm sure it's true of others that role play i know so many terms that are not gaming terms they're just words that mm -hmm. most people will never use or never know about using because it's not a normal word <laughs> you know it's not the standard um so i've always attributed that now what kind of um what kind of preparation do you do as a game master then um, when you're dealing with the clients? Preparation is key. So the, basically, one of the, the biggest things that we've noticed and continue to notice is we can set up a campaign. We'll, we'll run two different groups at the same time. We can set it up in the same exact way, say the same exact words at the when we're introducing everything, when we're introducing that beginning, that same paragraph. And we'll, we've done this before. We'll, we'll read it right off of a, a card. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter. The groups go in different directions, no matter what. <laughs> There's no control over that. And we've given up control, which is important because it allows them to, to flow in and feel like they can engage and make their own destiny. Um, so with that specifically, I, what we tend to do is we have a 10 to 12 week session planned out, mapped out. We know where they want to start. We know where we want to end. We know where our middle piece is. Everything in between that, good luck. <laughs> well, our, our goal is to be like, all right, I'm going to see where they go. And as the DM, I'm going to have all these little things in my back pocket in case they decide to be like, they want to talk to the townsfolk. We can be like, all of a sudden, a cloud appears and transports you guys to a dungeon. And what do you guys do? And that's that's how we we move the game along if we need to i've had some of my clinicians uh do duet play one-on-one -on -one, uh therapeutic in, integration mm -hmm. with them and when when they've done that they've also had to um they've had a kid who for two sessions would just fish he didn't want to go anywhere he just wanted to fish for two sessions and and so he was like you know what i'm gonna do I'm going to have him pull up a, a fish person <laughs> and he had pulled up a fish person had to have a conversation with that fish person and, and talk to him about what it was like to be pulled up that way um so i mean it's it's kind of a really interesting um aspect of of seeing how that that engages us in in a way but also where our players take it some of them are building castles some of them are like we're gonna be heroes some of them are like no we're gonna be murder hobos and we're like okay we're gonna allow you to do that just so you know there are consequences for your actions that is always how it happens and we will continue to engage you <laughs> so do you when you come across uh you know we normally call it the problem player which especially with mental illness that's going to come up more. So it sounds like you like to play a problem player. I'm a problem player. Um, I, when, I, when I play a warlock, I am just always the problem player. And yeah. it's, it's because I like to see what happens. I like to see what's, what's going to occur. That's, that's like half the, the, right the fun. I get it. Yeah, I like to see what's going to happen because there's no, there's no like real life consequences for me. So I'm like, how am I going to get myself out of this pickle? 
I don't know. Depends on what the GM likes to do. There was a time I was stuck in a pond with piranhas and I couldn't I couldn't dexterity my way out of it. But you know what I was able to do? I was able to to punch them and I gained fish in, in my backpack. So I was able to save the party later on and feed them. Yeah. That was a wonderful consequence. <laughs> That's a good game master to come up with a way to deal with it. So you guys do a lot of guided sandbox then. Mm-hmm. In a way, give us um, a lot of uh, stuff. There was there was one time in our, our private play where we we opened up like a wall and we were able to peer in and someone had sent in their their, their guiding lights and we saw a bunch of skeletons in there because there, there was someone talking with us. And all of a sudden we saw that and we're like, hmm, we're going to close this back up. <laughs> because <laughs> we're in the underdark um on that stuff and, and the dm's like well you see a treasure chest in there i'm like doesn't matter there's skeletons there we're closing this back up <laughs> we could just continue on and he's like all right <laughs> and at the end he goes that was going to be a mimic you guys are going to be boned <laughs> and i was like thanks dude yeah <laughs> glad we closed that back up <laughs> <laughs> gotta love it that's mm-hmm. hilarious so um Tell me a little bit about the other. So you do D and D, any mm-hmm. other uh, worlds that you guys tend to play in? We we are playing primarily in D and D in our main one right now. But when we train people, we're doing Seventh C. We have Call of Cthulhu coming up. Um, we have done Ninja Crusade, Part Time Gods. I uh, we Seventh C. If I didn't mention that one, usually John Wick runs that for us um cypher system has been uh given to us that people didn't really gravitate towards that one as much but they're up uh, mage the ascension changeling the lost i mean there's there's been a lot of cool things that have been happening uh depending on what it is and i think that we're probably going to get a different feel for some different games coming on up and i'm probably going to try to convince uh john wick to to dm for us on but Friday night, so he can uh, run us through Seventh C and really make it uh, entertaining. He doesn't know this yet, but he's got it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, we'll keep this quiet until you tell him. <laughs> I, he he can't. He's running a group right now, so he can't do anything about it. Oh. <laughs> right. So now you play. Uh, do you also mm-hmm. GM then as well? It sounds like or DM whatever you want. Um, I have GM'd in the in the past. I haven't GM'd recently, and it's just because of timing and uh, we're growing exponentially, and there's a lot of stuff that's going on with that growth, which is fantastic, um, and it requires my time, and so I don't feel like I would I would do it justice to plan out everything. However, I am hoping by the end of summer I'm going to be able to start doing some of that uh, a little bit again and really throw some ringers in some people <laughs> so are you teaching um any of the, the clients to be gms as well some of our clients ha- have expressed interest but we don't quite go that route because one of hipaa compliance and making sure that we are mm. appropriately there but there are certain times where we will make it so they have the main narrative and they're in charge of it in, in a way that they are kind of like we're going to use the term loosely guest GMing. Um, and they like say, no one will talk to any of the NPCs won't talk to them. Uh, won't talk to anybody else except them, which means they drive the narrative. And us as the, the GM, we're like, we're going to let you take this back. And we'll, we'll, they'll say, we will use it as, as a tool to be the, 
the Dragon King is only going to speak to you because everyone else is not of nobility enough to do that. And so what would you say to the dragon? And then we'd have that and be like, what do you think the, the king's saying back to you? And we kind of drive that way. And it's called a gestalt move and uh, empty chair technique. And we that's, can allow them to. For is gestalt mm -hmm. Because of the role playing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so we, we can, we can utilize that in a way that makes it super easy to get them to engage, but also allows the, the, the group to be like, Hey, tell the, tell the King this, make, ask him about this question, um, that type of thing. So we can, um, help the, the narrative be driven, but also get a group cohesiveness. And that, that's really what uh, a Bionic group is, is, is having the group narrate it themselves and to be able to drive the, the focus home. It's one of the reasons why I really like working with uh, John Wick is because he's like narrative. I let the people drive the narrative and that's, that's just as important as, as not having them, them drive it. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense, man. And it, it, it has a lot of meaning if they can, if they can drive it themselves and they're more engrossed. Yeah. More connection, more buy-in. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So what are your greatest challenges you come across with this outside of the paperwork aspect? <laughs> um the paperwork aspect we've actually cracked that code uh, a while ago to be able to get pay insurance to pay for this which is great um yeah i know it's great so it helps out a lot of people um what i would probably say the hardest thing is sometimes is when you have disruptive individual in the group that is causing some havoc and doesn't like behavioral consequences and continue to cause havoc. And sometimes we have to warp them to an ethereal plane um, where they can't do anything. And we're like, cool, you're kind of in like a weird timeout phase <laughs> and you're just floating in space here. Like you're not really there and your comrades have to decide whether you're going to come back or not <laughs> and um, have a conversation about it. And they're there to kind of like help out with it. And we, obviously keep it non-derogatory, but we, I think those are kind of the hardest ones to, because they want to talk in those situations, be like, you know what, you're, you're in this plane, they can't hear you. So let's, let's try to pay attention to what's going on and, and how do we uh, listen to what your group is saying? Cause you could hear them in this plane. You just can't interact with them. That's a, that's a powerful tool. It, it's a, a very annoying one for them. Yeah. I can imagine. Does it work? <laughs> It, it works on a lot of the time. It's uh, it's worked pretty well for our um, clientele who who tend to be a little bit more uh, engrossed with causing destruction and lack of teamwork rather than uh, doing the other way around. So, do you try to plan your your character or not characters, your players groups in a certain way that create a better uh, environment for them? You know, like uh, in AA, sometimes they'll pair you with somebody who's been doing it a while, you know, kind of like a sponsor type deal. We tend to keep them honestly geared based on what their connection to the mental health symptoms that they're experiencing and their age. Those are the two main caveats because we, we've kind of learned that if we focus in on a specific mental health issue, um, and form a group around that, it can get difficult, but not as fun. Whereas if we have a lot of people um, engaging in a lot of different things, we would be able to have a lot of different opportunities for growth for everyone. And there's a lot of things that even though someone might be, let's say, suffering from ADHD symptomology or atypical uh, individuals 
uh, they still can learn from other people's mistakes and other type of stuff. Right. Yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking kind of in my head, you probably try to not have all of one mental health problem together, probably try to put some strengths and weaknesses so they can create a learning environment with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something you t- you can't really pick your players so easily in a, in a private group as you can <laughs> in this more situation. So how many players do you actually have in total roughly? Our group, we max it out at six um, is what we do. And there, it's just because it becomes not as therapeutically driven and not as therapeutically beneficial if it becomes too, too much. Now, if we uh, counted all of our groups, we have three separate groups running. So we're running about 18 kids um, every week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Through, through different groups, three different groups. It is. And, you know, they, they do amazing stuff and they, they manage a lot of cool stuff through it all, which is fantastic. I think it's a, a wonderful tool that they, they feel connected to and continue to manage a lot. So how do you deal with other, so you do video games as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I, uh, I really, really like to, you can do, I love using video games and it doesn't matter what video game you're using. I love, love using video games. And I think it's because the, that those games, in a sense, they're already set up with rules, foundational learning. As you play a game, you kind of have an idea of what's going to happen. You, the game itself is teaching you rules and boundaries. And those are just so easy to just pull out and be like, look, you've, you've done this type of work before. You've done it when you play this character, when you play this game, when you engage in this type of mechanic. Let's take that and how can we use that in, in your world as well? And that just transforms people's thinking patterns and ability to, to really understand what, what they want, but also where they're kind of going forward in, in utilizing the games. And people start to think about like, why am I playing this game? What about this character is bringing me comfort? Is it because I feel powerful? Is it because of the narrative? Is it a storyline? Is it something else? We don't really quite know. And I think that in itself is the, the powerful change that we, we see from therapeutic endeavor. Very cool. What other, uh, what other outlets do you guys use besides video games and role-playing? Uh, we like to do narrative therapy. Um, it's a lot. So that most people would kind of know that as journaling, but fan fiction as well. How would you engage someone in a, a different, a different light to, to know what the fan fiction and, the narrative changes for them. Um, we love games, whether it's board games or, or another type of thing that works well. I love using chess as a mechanic to test out to see how well people can do. And some people can almost beat me. Not quite there. Um, but uh, but they get better. But yeah, they get better because chess is a wonderful thing is you got to think ahead. And if we, if we play a game once a month, um, I can get an idea of, of how well you are thinking ahead and how you are trying to challenge yourself in, in a different way, which is very, very important um, overall, I think, for, for people's cross. Because if you can think ahead and you can do that forward thinking, it's a, it's a different ballgame, whether you, again, have symptomology or not. And I think that is where that change occurs. So how do you balance uh, four companies and uh, therapy for two different <laughs> clinics and home life? It's, it's, I have a wonderful wife, a partner, um, that she, she helps out tremendously and, uh, a wonderful rock in, in being able to, to make sure a lot of things happen. Um, 
I think that there is a wonderful way to manage time. And I'm really, really good about managing my time appropriately and to, to make sure that we focus in on, I got to get this thing done and then I move on to this and then move on to this and, and just very, very heavily structured. And that's, that's really what kind of uh, goes forward with it. And, and that's, that's how I manage it all is it, not everything is going off at once, like say publishing, we're about to have a, a spree in publishing stuff, a, video, a book for teachers on how to use video games in their, in their classroom, um, one on memes for clinicians, those two are coming, coming through, wait, wait, but wait, then wait. we don't, yeah. yeah, go forward. All right. So I'm not sure <laughs> you are, but I'm, I'm 44. You know, now you're intrigued by memes, right? Yeah, I, I'm very <laughs> curious. My daughter speaks in memes as a 15-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, my wife and I, she'll show us stuff all the time. We just kind of look at it like, okay. It's not actually funny, though. And then sometimes they're really funny. And mm -hmm. but she laughs at them all like this is a thing. And, and we always joke that we're going back to hieroglyphics and it'll just be meme language for these younger ones at some point so what is it that you guys are using with memes I, i'm curious about that the memes are are very important ways of uh what the doctor who's writing the book would, would talk about is uh, memetic, memetic uh communication and and that that type of communication is is masterful um in a way that is phenomenal but also gets us into an idea of what's actually happening with them <laughs> so yeah, you're gonna have to go way deeper than that my friend i know i'm trying i'm trying to think of of a good one Let, let's say um so so memes themselves are in they're they're layered they're layered think of it as a layered picture so there's the background there's a foreground there's the the words and then there's the actual picture that's in the inside um each one of those details has a special place for when people talk about it or they like let's look at this meme it just gets me in my soul you're like cool what about it gets you at your soul what about this is this doing is it the picture is it the wording what let's let's talk about how it speaks to you that is what we call communicating uh, uh, an archetypal aspect, uh, an ethereal feeling like this, I get this, I understand this, this, um, this picture here understands who I am and what I'm, my experience that I'm going through. And that is what we will, we can, we can spend five minutes on a meme, we could spend 15 minutes dissecting a meme of what's, what's going on and relating it to, to a certain, certain aspect of, of how, what's happening in our life <laughs> relates to this meme um i'll give you an example as having kids there is there's a meme out there where it's it's uh someone's trying to, to free someone from a trunk of a car and, and they get it open and the the person in the trunk says man i have kids just just give me a minute and closes <laughs> closes the trunk again for for a break from them and and i show it to my wife and she's like i totally get that like i need a break from from the kids i it's like the i need sleep yeah it, it's it's kind of like one of one of those those ideas um it's it's a wild wild um idea to to use them but man it is 
such a great way of communicating what our clients are going through, not just what they find humorous, but like, why do they find it humorous? Like, what about it is, is having them gravitate towards this type of mean of the dog sitting at a table drinking coffee and the world around is burning. It's like, this is fine. Clearly it's not fine. So what's not, go not what's going on in, in your life right now that is like burning up in, in the world. Um, and that's, that's just an easy way of, of trying to to manage um, ourselves a little bit uh, differently through memes, but also using it as a form of communication, and um, it's it's just super fun. That's so <laughs> interesting. Plus, plus, we plus we get access to like so many memes. Oh, oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> um, just go on Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. The uh, that really reminds me of like two aspects. And tell me if I'm wrong here, but um, you're kind of doing the way art evokes a, an emotional response or should, if it's decent art. Um, and also like the uh, Rorschach uh, almost where your interpretation um, dictates a little bit about where you are in your emotional uh, place at that point. Yeah. And so, and so basically what you're talking about is the idea of projection and how we project upon each uh, different things around us and how we engage in our, our worlds around us in, in different ways. And that, that style of projection is, is massively important to pay attention to because it tells us a little bit about ourselves and what we potentially need to work on. And with a good clinician, you'll be able to, to figure that out pretty quickly, but it's not just about the clinician telling you what you need to work on. It's about you coming to that point on your own by the clinician guiding you being like, and, and, and they're like, just about to be there. Like, you're so close to it. And there's like, just tell me. And it's like, no, you're so close. Think about it. What is the difference here? What's going to happen? How does this relate to your life? And then they're like, I don't want to say it. <laughs> it's like, you got it. We've already come this far. It's going to happen. No, I, I <laughs> you're, you're doing it. My therapist always did. Yeah. It's that cognitive <laughs> therapy, but to a, uh, to an annoying extent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a good technique. It works a lot. I imagine it does. Everybody that's I've ever met that is a clinician of one type or another uses leading questions to help people figure things out i mean that's just the basic way to teach um, mm -hmm. it's it's well it, it creates a meaningful memory and with that meaningful memory that's really where um, everything comes into play where if you can understand what's happening around you and you can connect the dots and you connect it yourself that memory that that aspect is way stronger than if I just tell you what to do. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's just because you've come to it yourself. It's a realization. It's a looking behind the veil of, of what's in front of you because you, you can't normally uh, look behind it um, without um, being able to to kind of know. Once you look behind the veil, you can't unfind, you can't unsee it. That's that's the key point. And that's why we do it. Um, and that's that's one of the most powerful things you can do as a therapist because you see the the changes and you see everything else it's just absolutely phenomenal that's awesome how long have you been in th or doing therapy i have been licensed since 2016 mm -hmm. and i have been doing under other people's supervision since 2011 nice 
And but I've also been doing, I've been doing, I like, I used to run a D and uh, DDR club um, in college and everything like that. So, I mean, like I've, I've been in this field forever. <laughs> this is what it feels like at least. <laughs> so when did you, I don't think we covered that. When did you start role-playing? I, my first role play, I can remember it was because I was LARPing <laughs> um, and it was high school. I was 10th grade. Yeah, it was 10th grade um, and I hung it. No, I was, I grew up in Massachusetts. Okay, and so, so it was, was you get beat up in Texas. Yeah, you, you totally would get beat up in Texas. Um, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that at all. Um, no, I'm, I'm in, um, yeah, Massachusetts and I was given a sword and and the guy that I was friends with was like yeah you just kind of try to hit each other and then once you hit someone you can't use that that limb anymore and I'm like cool and then he goes yeah it is really cool <laughs> like that and like Sephiroth and, and the sword and I'm like dude how am I supposed to defend about that and he goes welcome to LARP <laughs> I said what the fuck <laughs> I was like, this is this is not how I'm supposed to learn how to do this. So after after two hours, I was able to at least disarm him. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's awesome. It was it was kind of crazy and nuts. <laughs> how long did you LARP for? Um, I honestly only did it for about a month back then because then I had to get into doing other stuff um, for for school, which was unfortunate. But when we when we got into college, we'd play a lot of games and, and we'd love board games. And that's what we lose a lot of nights for. Um, Catan was a big one. Munchkin, another one. And being able to uh, just kind of play. I don't, I don't think we got into, into that one, but we, oh we, we, we kept on my favorites. We, we kept on emerging in between everything that was in existence and what we've all played. And then we switch over to video games for a while and we go back to board games and it, it just kept on going back and forth. Um, Cause you know, in college you're like four classes, cool. I can get all my homework done real fast. And then boom, what am I going to do the rest of the week? Oh, I'm going to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> At my parents' expense. Yeah. 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 That's too funny. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how how uh, people can get involved to help and to uh, support you guys. We are always looking for for people to to kind of like help on and come on board with uh, teaching classes and stuff like that. Um, our current therapeutic game master program is going super super crazy strong, uh, which was great because that shows that the the need needs to be there. Um, so that one has a bunch of DMs that we're, we're doing. That's just more constrained by all of our schedules at this point. Um, but basically people can, can come onto a one Facebook page, share our, our stuff that we're doing. We're creating a whole bunch of, of different products that are out there for people like our therapeutic game master journal is, is going to be coming out next month. And that is going to be phenomenal because that's for, for clinicians and professionals because it's going to be a soft cover and you're going to have it's 176 pages long. You have graph paper, you've got whole planners for your whole campaign of 12 se- 10 to 12 sessions. And it's just going to be super beneficial for, for people who want to be able to keep track of it in a very succinct and easy manner because it guides you through through everything, which is what we wanted to do. So, I mean, the easiest thing is to just get in touch with us, send us a message on, on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, get involved with us on Instagram. I mean, that's, that's the easiest way to, to kind of figure out because we're always, always doing something. 
and we always have something going on. <laughs> Too awesome. I'm really excited that I uh, came across you guys. Um, I think that this is definitely one of the more powerful um, uses I've seen. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just for enjoyment, it's for, uh, for mental health and for uh, really helping kids to, to gain those life skills that they need so, so desperately. Um, so I really applaud you guys. I know the whole group of the geezers of the game really do applaud you for this. So we're uh, anything we can do, uh, and we'll tell our audience, you know, please check out geezers. Or, excuse me, not geezers. Of the, yes, check out geezers of the game too. But check, <laughs> check out <laughs> therapeutics. Uh, go to their website. Check out uh, the what's the books that you got coming out here? Uh, the, we so we have the, yeah that therapeutic game master book. It's going to come in three different colors. It's on Amazon. You can get it from us or on Amazon. We're going to be having them before Amazon will get them in stock, which is how it always works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're always up on pre-order. We have our geek therapy card deck. So if like people want to learn about geek therapy techniques and what we kind of do in therapy, then it's a wonderful deck card deck. Eighty-seven cards, I think, is what it was, and it goes through like D and D anime tropes everything like that um movies to to just kind of talk a little bit about how we can use this culture in as a way as a therapeutic endeavor but also how do we engage ourselves a little bit in in mental health well-being and so that's all available everywhere um amazon uh, us and i think that's the kind of the, the coolest thing is that it's not just for clinicians it's it's kind of for everybody right and then what about this meme book when is that coming out oh yeah the meme book we haven't fully announced that yet um so so that one is about about it (laughs) (laughs) um we're we're hoping that we're going to have that out in august is our hope um it's about to go through uh, the final editing process and it has to go through the layout and and everything like that and then finally interior work and then we're finally sent off to the printer nice very cool well thank you so much for your time anthony i really appreciate it tony <laughs> looked at it both works for a second and rather than saying tony my brain read anthony <laughs> so i apologize um anyways That's i really okay. appreciate your time and please thank your wife for us you know for uh letting you not do anything with her at this uh last hour that you've been with us <laughs> really appreciate that as well and absolutely and uh yeah and we look forward to seeing all the wonderful things you guys do and and anything we can do at geezers the game we are we're happy to help with we appreciate that so very much we we look forward to to kind of working with everybody collaborations are our biggest thing that we like to do awesome thank you this has been a geezers of the game production if you'd like to support us, please find us on Patreon or buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash geezers.